What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Trailblazers reporter Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. And now, also on YouTube, we're up over 1,000 subscribers. We made our first goal. Let's just set another one. How about 2,000? Help me get there. Go subscribe to the show right now. If you're listening and you haven't subscribed, if you're listening on a pod- and podcast player, pause your podcast, go subscribe on YouTube right now. Just search Locked on Blazers. Or uh, if you are watching on YouTube, hi, it's wonderful to see you. Um, smash that subscribe button. Help grow the show. I, I, would, I would truly appreciate it. Uh, we do this every day of the week. There's five shows a week free wherever you get podcasts and free on YouTube. Make this show your first listen every day because it's the only Daily Trailblazers podcast. If you want to know what's going on with the team, this is the place to do it. So yeah, like I said, make make this show, make Lockdown Blazers your first listen every single day. Today's episode is also a mailbag show answering listener submitted questions all episode long. We do a mailbag show each and every week, and, and there's two ways to get involved if you want to do it. You can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich. Uh, just send me a question whenever you're thinking of it. Helps if you indicate that it's mailbag, uh, then I will save it in my Word doc. Or you can watch uh, watch my Twitter feed. I will usually send out a tweet on the day of the show asking for questions, and you can respond to me there, and I'll do my best to get you in a show. If you're not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, you can email me, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com is the address. That's lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. That's the two ways to do it. Without further ado, let's get into it. The first question comes from Anthony, who asks... What are your thoughts on Amphrey Simons and Nazir Little with respect to the best case and worst case scenarios? So in my season previews, I did them for every player on the roster. I didn't do one for Dennis Smith Jr. because timing screwed up, but I'm sorry, DSJ. And I'm sorry, Dennis Smith Jr. fans. Um, my my B on that. But what I what I lay out the best case and worst case scenarios for, for guys. So it's like within reason, you know, what's the worst case scenario look like for him? What's the best case scenario? And I think... Um, for for Anthony Simons, we'll start there. Is that he would be a um, he would continue to be an absolutely lights out offensive player, and he would grow into a legitimate NBA distributor. Um, I don't think he's done that, quite frankly. Uh, he's improved a little bit as a passer, but he's still um, he hasn't morphed into this like elite point guard. But he's better on offense than I would have thought he would. Like his 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 offensive level the level he's playing at offense is is better than i thought he would get to right like um he can he's scoring off off the bounce he's scoring on pull-ups he's still a great spot-up shooter he's you know if if you drop on him on pick and rolls he's acing threes like he's been the the most fun part of the blazers season by far you know i i thought he could be a really good offensive player this year dude could shoot it i mean last year he shot you know well clean of nearly 44 percent from three like on 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 volume like he was an elite shooter and the idea was like if that's the baseline can he add more to his game and I and my best case scenario was that he'd be like an NBA point guard I think he's not I think he's still an NBA scorer but he's a better NBA scorer than I thought he would be so I don't know if he's totally hit my best case scenario but he's the pendulum is way 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 towards that side uh Nazir Little my best case scenario for Nazir Little is that he'd be an NBA player like legitimate every single night has to play because he's an NBA player and I think he's there um it was he's you know he's 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 if he's not all the way there because there's still some nights he struggles um with his decision making and he's is his his handle isn't super tight and sometimes he kind of gets caught in between moves when he gets going downhill towards the rim a little too fast um but in general he's i think both of those guys 
I think Ant is just short and Nas is probably already at his best case scenario. And we're eight games in. Like, obviously, things fluctuate. Um, you know, there'll be some there'll be some lean times. Um, but uh, it's making me think that I maybe should have pressed further on Nas. Uh, I, I think Ant, I still have a very reasonable best case scenario. If he if he morphs into a point guard by the end of the year, that's the best case scenario, right? Like if he's if he's whatever, like a, a really good backup point guard right now, he's just a really, 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 really good offensive player. But the best case scenario is that he would add like high level distribution and he showed flashes that he's a better passer for sure. Absolutely. I'm not trying to say he's not there. It's just like he, he's, that's still not what he, he is just yet. But again, Eight, eight games, eight games. And then Ant and Nas have been really good. The, the bright parts of this season, not named Cody Zeller for sure. Uh, Sean at Morrison's Lisp on Twitter asks, is there an argument to be made that we, that's a capital, that's that's a collective pronoun, capital W, capital E, that we might be better off just running the same schemes on defense as last season and that the improved bench might be enough to take us from very bad to just mediocre while allowing the offense to cook like it did last year. So, is the argument to run both because like cook like it did last year makes me think that you want to run them both. You know, they're, 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 they're having a little balance between, um, and I, and I, I want to say this, I don't think calling it Chauncey Billups's system versus Terry Stotts' system is fair because Terry Stotts' system had very specific flare screen actions, very specific actions that were, that were unique to what Terry did. Bunch of off-ball screens, bunch of movement. Early in his tenure, that was the staple of the Blazers. They moved all around and set tons of off-ball screens. And then they had a bunch of different reads off of, off of um, the flow offense, which was kind of like two flares heading in opposite directions. Um, and... The, the Blazers are never running that shit, okay? Um, they're they're running they're running Billups' system versus Dame's comfort zone. I think that's what we need to term it. It's not this isn't Billups versus Stotts. We all want it to be that, or many many of us want it to be that. No, 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 no. It's Billups Billups's system versus Dame's comfort zone, and Dame's comfort zone is running a bunch of pick and rolls and matchup hunting, and that's what Terry's system, while Dame was at the helm of it, devolved into, and then people blame Stotts for it. The point That's what the point guard likes to run, and he's really freaking good at it. Um, that's not what you asked, Sean, but I needed to <laughs> I needed to get on my soapbox real quick. Let me get back down and answer your question. Um, no. The Blazers should not roll, rely back on playing a drop system, the drop coverage um, exclusively. That would be a mistake. It would be, um, you know, they've they're they've their overall defense has improved a little bit from being like truly horrific like it was last year. And I think playing a little more of aggressive style defense kind of covers up for what their problems are. Last year, they gave up a lot of shots at the rim and a lot of open three pointers and forced very few turnovers. This year, they're giving up a ton of open three pointers. They're giving up more shots in the paint than you would like, but they're forcing some turnovers here and there. I think that's an okay trade-off. I also think this, the sign of this team being good would be able to play a variety of coverages. They've tried to play zone. The zone is horrific. Get it out of here. Um, they've tried to play this aggressive style and, and maybe like six or eight possessions throughout the year, they've they've let Nurk drop back depending on what the matchup is. Like if it's a non-shooting ball handler and a non-shooting big, you can play drop and kind of not be, or you can just be a little lower. Um, it's not fully drop coverage because the whole point of drop is to stay out of rotations and the Blazers aren't avoiding rotations. They're um, trying to rely on each other to rotate and be aggressive. So no, I don't think they should go back. It's the simple answer. And there's, and just because I think um, being bad, but, but with the payoff of forcing more turnovers seems like a better payoff than being bad and not forcing those turnovers. I think that's, I think that's the simple math. Next question comes from Bernardo who asks, 
I'm not as big of an X's and O's guys, but X, I'm not a big X's and O's guy, but I'm definitely not a casual. I've been watching the Blazers consistently for at least seven years, and I just can't understand why Nurk is so well regarded by the media and the fans. Well, Bernardo, I'll say this. Nurk hasn't been very good this year. He's been disappointing. His, uh, his pretty much all of the things that you would expect him to be bad at, he's been, he's had trouble with turnovers, finishing around the rim. Uh, he's not an outside shooter and all the things that you want him to be good at the defense and the playmaking, those have struggled too. He's gotten, he's gotten, you know, Jared Allen gave him the business last night and his assists are down below two a game after averaging at least three games in each of the last three years, even his potential assists down to 3.3 after they were at 6.0 the last few years, just less opportunities. Part of it is Damon Lord is shooting bricks. He's the guy who he's going to, you know, Nurk's going to set up Dame on handoffs and, and, um, and, you know, just play off each other. And if Dame's, if Dame is going to shoot terribly, um, there are going to be less assists to be had, but, um, you know, I don't think you need to know X's and O's to just sort of see like the defensive competence that Nurk brings. He hasn't really brought it this year. And I think there's been a lot of nights, many, many nights this season already where Cody Zeller has been the Blazers best center. And I, I don't think that's particularly controversial. I think that's just been true. Um, but the idea that Nurk is like, is just like bad and maybe other people aren't seeing it is, um, is silly to me. I would say this, um, he is right now, he's like probably a league average or a slightly above average center. And his ceiling is being a, one of the top 10 centers in the league. And he hasn't approached that consistently this season, and it's been frustrating. And I can see why you're frustrated. Um, but like big sweeping generalization that like Nurk is bad and never has deserved any credit is too far, and I will not meet you there. Next question comes from Adam M, who asks, "What should, what could slash should Nurk and Dame do in those one and five pick and rolls that would allow a clean look, strong finish without picking up offensive fouls?" Is there a guard and big pick and roll combo that you would point to as a great example from this generation? Um, the Blazers kind of fancy Nurk as Nikola Jokic light, and I think the best two-man game in the league is Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray when they really got it humming. That is as good as it gets. With all due respect to LeBron and Anthony Davis, apologies, y'all, but I the, the, the creativity, the shooting, the um, the relentlessness of of handoff doesn't work, handoff back, uh, you know, pitch back, pick and roll. Like they run, they run four straight actions and they just, they just come at you until it works. They're both so creative. Um, you know, I think Jamal Murray's probably a better passer than he gets credit for. And Nikola Jokic is just one of the greats, a playmaker. He can really, really shoot it. Um, they're hard to deal with. Nurk's not going to have the shooting touch of Jokic. So it's, it's a little bit different. He doesn't have the passing of Jokic, but, um, so that's a little bit different. But I think one of the things that Jokic does is that he doesn't roll, he doesn't run people down because he doesn't charge to the rim, um, without his, he kind of slides his feet. He's, he keeps his feet under him and he shoots little weird floaters and step backs. And I think, um, you know, Nurk can't copy that completely, but the idea that I think Nurk gets so much momentum going forward and then tries to Euro and go either way, like tries to sidestep and go either way that, that people can read it and they know what he wants to do and they know he wants to come back to his right hand. I think that's the thing to do. Um, some of it is skill stuff. Nurk just isn't as skilled as some other bigs around the rim, but some of it is literally just, I've said this before in a bunch of shows, but like high school basketball ball style jump stop. You get it. You jump stop and land on two feet and have your base under you so you can load up and pump fake, pump fake, pump fake and go up or just explode off two feet right away. But it's that, it's that jump stop where you get both feet under you. Um, and get your balance and use your strength and, and like all the things they teach you when you are a me, like a, 
a little guy trying to load up. Um, and you know, just like, you know, low level basketball players, he, he could, um, he could benefit from that. All right, let's come back in the second segment, answer more of your questions on this glorious mailbag Monday. But first, let me remind you that today's episode of Lockdown Blazers is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come reconnect, a place where classmates can meet up for a study group knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates and competitors, the home team or the away team, can come to recharge. It's a place you can always look forward to stopping on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel. It's always been a, a key spot for me uh, as a, you know, a late night eatery and, and a, a great road trip um, refuel st- fueling station. Uh, you know, when you're in rural Oregon or I drove down to LA this summer, um, you know, you're you're kind of in, in Nowheresville. You know you can depend on McDonald's. It'll be there and it'll be open later than everything else. So why not head into your local McDonald's for a chance to refuel and reconnect right now? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, I'm loving it. Today's episode is also brought to you by Calm. Listen, when athletes like me need to focus on physical fitness, that's one thing. But there's also a whole other side of the game for super athletes like myself. And that's the mental side, that's mental fitness. And Calm is the number one app for sleep and meditation. And they've teamed up with, with another super athlete in the game, LeBron James. You may have heard of him. And the, and Calm will help you train your mind. Train so you can become a champion or at least the championship version of yourself. LeBron, myself, and Calm want you to know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body. You don't have to be a world champion to learn how to train it. Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, reduce your stress, and perform at your best, just like me and LeBron James. So for LeBron James and me, sleep is critical, and it's a critical part of our mental fitness routine. As I say sometimes, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things you can do. Oh, they actually attribute that quote to LeBron, but I say, I say that all the time. I say that that's a classic thing that I say. Sometimes I continue the quote and I say, from the sound of rain falling on leaves to, to bedtime sleep stories, calm puts me to sleep within minutes, which means I wake up ready for any challenge. Yeah, I classically say that. I can't believe they attributed that to LeBron James. So if you want to get... If you want to just be a better version of yourself mentally, why don't you go to calm.com slash locked on NBA. And for a limited time, you get 40% off the calm premium subscription with calm. You have access to nature scenes. LeBron loves. I love them too, but they say LeBron loves them like rain or leaves and so much more like sleep stories, meditations. So you can be ready for any challenge that life throws your way. So limited time offer, go to calm.com slash locked on MBA, unlock content to help you focus, ease stress and sleep better. Get started. Calm.com slash locked on MBA. That's calm.com slash locked on NBA. All right. We talked, we're, we're still rolling through mailbag Monday. We, we talked, Little Yusuf Nurkic, Little Amphrey Simons, and Nazir Little. And our next question comes from Ryan Wet- Whitledge at the Witty Ryan on Twitter, who asks This season, I'm tracking the stat of if the Blazers win the opening tip, do they win the game? Hint, no. Who, who would have guessed that one possession at the beginning of the game would not be predictive, Ryan? Who could have guessed? You did dameless minutes last year, but is there a seemingly stupid, meaningless stat you track in sports just for the fun of it? Um, I don't think you implied this, but dameless minutes, which was the minutes I was tracking when da- when CJ and Nurk were hurt and the the Bla- all the minutes that, da- that the Blazers played when Dame was on the bench, because basically 
when their superstar was out of the game, if they lost, if they got crushed in those minutes, it was going to be too hard to come back. That was kind of the point of it. But is the implication that those that was a stupid and meaningless stat, Ryan? Because it was it turned out to be very very predictive, like very useful. Um, I don't think that's the implication, but if it is, you know where to find me, dog. Let's <laughs> let's settle this at our local McDonald's. Um, I'm not, I'm not tracking anything, um, specific this year. I've kind of thought about what it would be, but it usually has to like come up naturally. It came up naturally last year when it was like, wow, Nurk gets hurt the next night. CJ gets hurt. And it's like, okay, here's the most important stat we're going to have to know. Um, so I think it'll come naturally to me. One thing I did look up and I've already referenced in this game is just potential assists. This was supposed to be either the Blazers move the ball more and, and, and were more sort of egalitarian and all these things on offense. And, um, I'm, I'm curious to know if there are more, not just because the shooting numbers have been so bad, if there's more opportunities for assists. And the NBA tracks that for me. I don't track it myself, but it's something I'll be looking looking into for sure. Next question comes from Rudy, who asks, in your preview, this is a season preview, you stated the Blazers still didn't have any anyone to guard big wings. Since then, Harrison Barnes, six foot eight, has had 36. Paul George, six foot eight, 42. Kelly Oubre, six foot six, has had 26. Is is Powell of the three just too small? Would we be better off starting Robert Covington and Ants? Is there a solution to this roster or save for a trade? Is this our Achilles heel? So some important caveats here, Rudy. I think you're on the right track, but I, I do think you missed one thing here. The primary assignment for Harrison Barnes in that Kings game was Robert Covington. The primary assignment for Paul George in that Clippers game was Robert Covington. It's not that the Blazers don't have a tall person. It's that the tall person they do have is also not good at it. It's it's more than just size. It's a skill set thing. Robert Covington is an elite help defender, but he has slow feet and fast hands. He's not an elite on-ball stopper. He's an elite helper. He's one of the great help defenders in the league. If you put him as a point-of-attack defender, he gets abused. And honestly, against Harrison Barnes, he got sucked into helping too much on all these actions and didn't get back to Barnes, and Barnes benefited from Covington overhelping. It's a skill thing. Uh, Kelly Oubre is one of 14 um, since he hit those six threes against the Blazers, uh, he just got hot that night because they gave him a bunch of open threes. I don't think that was a primary assignment thing. I think that was a bad transition defense thing, which is a team problem. But the larger point, while you may have missed the specifics, Rudy, the larger point is 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 right there. Yes, the Blazers are too small on the wing to be um, an elite defensive group. They are. They're. They're capable of being a pretty good defensive team. Like I think, like like I've said a bunch, somewhere like fifteen to seventeen, slightly below average. If they focus, I think they have the personnel, and if if they get good Nurk every night and and they stay relatively healthy, the the personnel to be something like the seventeenth best defense in the league. That doesn't sound very good, but if they're like fifth in offense and seventeenth in defense, they're going to be a very good basketball team this year. I have no doubt about it. Um, the numbers would suggest that that would put them somewhere in the top uh, six in the West. But. Um, <sighs> But they just don't have, they don't, they're not big on the wing. They're not big on the wing. And they, they're having trouble right now finding good offense and also size. I want to see Rocco, Nance, and a, and a traditional center with Zeller or Nurk in there. We haven't seen it yet. I would love to see it. I want to see a little bit of it. But I know why Chauncey Billups doesn't want to do it, because he needs more offense on the court. And Norm and Anthony Simons have been too good to sit offensively. And, um... Damon, CJ are locked into playing a bunch of minutes because they're because that's the politics of the league. Um, you're not going to sit them, and and Dame has played a really good floor game despite shooting poorly. So um, there's a lot 
there's a lot to it, I guess. But I, I think in general, you're on the right track, although the specifics of your question uh, were a little bit off. Next question comes from Chalupa Dad times two. Shout out to Chalupa Dad and Quesarito, uh, little, little baby Chalupa. <laughs> Um, Taco Grande, I assume, is your oldest child. Um, Chalupa Dad asks, I have a theory that Game 5 of the playoffs broke Dame's competitive spirit. He hasn't had a single single signature performance since that night. I'd have to think that that was a relatively traumatic experience, and maybe he just can't shake it. Do you think this is possible? No. 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 Dame didn't get shook by having 55 points and his teammates letting him down. He also doesn't have the sort of, he, he doesn't, you can just, his body language is not someone who's quit. He's someone who's shooting bricks. He might not be physically right, but this is not a mental problem. I do not question Dame's mental toughness. And I can't imagine after you've watched him and listened to him talk, um, even the clips I played on this podcast, that you would think that it's a mental thing with him. I mean, maybe it's a mental thing that he's like, I, it's catching up to him. I missed so many shots. I missed so many shots. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But like, he didn't get broken by losing in the playoffs. Probably got mad. Didn't get broken. That's no way. Next question comes from Ari, who asks, if you could ask Neil Olshay one question and be guaranteed the unvarnished truth, what would you ask? I would ask him if he's ever built a championship team. I want to hear him say that he that he knows he hasn't, and he knows he's never come come particularly close to building that team that can win a championship. I'd love to hear him say it, because every every media day he sits there and says this team's so deep and so good, and I don't think he believes that. I think he thinks that he does a good job, and he does for the most part. He builds competitive basketball teams in the NBA. There's a skill to that. That's a challenge, right? Like, it's hard to build a good basketball team in this league, and he's done it consistently in large part thanks thanks to having Damian Lillard on the roster. But he has kept this team afloat where, where many other franchises around the league have kind of, in the Blazers, you know, eight seasons of being a pretty okay team, have kind of crumbled and, and, and gone in other directions, right? They've been solid and competitive. But I wonder if he's, I would ask him if he's ever thought that he built a team that could win a championship. How close did he ever think he was? And did he have the financial backing from ownership since Paul passed to go for it? The word around from Damon Lord is be he wants this team to go for it. And I'd like to ask Neil, if he hasn't ever built one, does he have the tools to go build one? That's what I want to know. All right, third segment. Let's come back and close out the show with more of your questions from this glorious Mailbag Monday. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about Bilt Bar. It's just the best tasting protein bar on the market. They're making delicious protein bars. They're not trying to fool you. They're making, uh, you know, bars come in every... Every flavor you could imagine. Super chocolatey ones, uh, like my personal favorites of cookies and cream or, uh, or chocolate peanut butter brownie. But they also got fruit flavors like raspberry and strawberry. They also got some new flavors like uh, strawberry churro or, chur- or strawberry puff and churro puff. They've, they've got strawberry lime on there if you want to get crazy fruity. All of them are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, like got that candy bar-like texture, but they're also nutritious. Not only are they the best tasting protein bar that there is, they're packing a punch, 17 to 18 grams of protein, 130 to 180 uh, calories, 4 to 5 grams of sugar. No more than five grams of net carbs. All tasty, all healthy. Go get yourself some. Go to built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. 
Still a pass for his point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Locked on Blazers. Uh, shout out to Dre Slaps, who makes the music for this uh, podcast. You can find a link to all of Dre's work and his merchandise, which includes this sweatshirt. If you're watching on, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm wearing some Dre Slaps merchandise myself. Uh, all that right there in the episode description. Just click that link, and you can uh, you can buy Dre's latest album, Energy, or buy some merchandise. Whatever it is, support local music, support local artists. Uh, still rolling through Mailbag Monday, and what we're going to do? We're gonna do something a little bit different to close uh, this show. Um, a lot of you have sent me trade ideas, and I I. I've been upfront about this. I don't care for trade machine stuff. Um, it's not the part of basketball that excites me. Um, there are there are people who it who it excites, and many of them are fans. And there's some media members who also get get jazzed about playing on on trade machine and figuring out and playing GM and all that stuff. And I cool like that. It's a fun. It's a really fun part of the league. Um, I enjoy trades. I just don't enjoy like concocting fake trades. I think is maybe the best way to explain it. But um, a lot of you send me trades because you're curious, and I get it. And I don't want to poo-poo that. And last week I said, I'm not doing trades. This week, I'm still kind of not doing trades because I'm not going to address any specific trades. But many of you, including Justin Oslin at Justin Oslin 7 and Rip City Slicker and Adam C and Noah and Jason Lynn, that's I am Pig Lay on Twitter, Bobby at Bobby Van D22 and Brandon Sprague at Brandon Sprague on Twitter, all sent me like trade specifics, trade specific questions. And instead of going through and telling you how I feel about Miles Turner and whether they, the Blazers should trade Nurk and whether the Blazers should trade Ant or Norm or who should they keep or whatever whatever it might be or other specifics, um, uh, other other hypotheticals out there. I want to just talk about um, sort of the anatomy of a trade and I, just to sort of I want to I want to put the trade chatter in sort of a, a, a realistic space because I think this this is more this is more important when considering what's next for the Blazers than asking whether Miles Turner would make the team better. Yes, okay, yeah, fine. Yes, <laughs> but one of the, the challenges for the Blazers is they don't have a ton of tradable contracts. What I mean by that is you kind of need guys who are making like 10, 10 to $15 million a year um, with a year or two years preferably left on their deal. When you look down the Blazers roster, there's two two gentlemen who meet that that category. That's Robert Covington and Yusuf Nurkic. But the problem with trading either of those is that those guys are starters. And for Nurk, um, I don't know if there's going to be a huge market for centers. And if the Blazers, but if the Blazers do trade Nurk, they're certainly going to need a center in return. So it's hard to find a team that wants to swap out one center for another with the right to pay Yusuf Nurkic this summer. He, he's um, he could be included in the right trade package because he makes the right amount of money and he's heading into free agency. But um, his sort of overall appeal based on what the Blazers need, which would be a starting level center or someone damn close to it. Like if you're going to start Cody Zeller, you need someone who is as good as Cody Zeller as his backup or you're just taking a nosedive, right? Um, so th- that stuff. Robert Covington is such a crucial part of the Blazers roster. If they trade him and they don't get back another power forward, they're stuck with one power forward in the roster, and that's Larry Nance Jr., who's had a history of injuries. So like when you're trading either of those guys and putting them into trades to kind of make things work, you, re- you need really tough specifics back, and it's hard. Now if you move down the roster and you say, okay, well, the most tradable part on this team is C.J. McCollum. That's what everyone says. But is it? C.J. McCollum is 30 years old. He's owed $30 million in each of the next three seasons. 
And he doesn't really fit the bill for a young team because if you're young and rebuilding, three years of CJ McCollum gets you probably close to where you'd want to contend. And then you have 33-year-old C- 33-year-old CJ who's built up with your core and he's, you know, he'll be on the downslope of his career. And if you're a team that wants to um, sort of go for it, well, $30 million is a pretty big price tag. So you're going to have to trade out one of your star players, say Russell Westbrook or something like that for a CJ McCollum. Is that a trade that... Um, that entices true contenders to trade out a sort of close to a near max or max guy in order to acquire CJ McCollum? I don't think so. Uh, CJ's pretty good. He could help teams like that one that plays in Philadelphia very specifically. But our team's interest, does CJ have that sort of trade value on the open market that would net you back a, a, a really solid player? I don't know. And I don't, th- I don't think so. I think that's why he's still on the roster, quite frankly, right now, because the Blazers wanted to... They were willing to make the right trade for CJ, but they know what they need to be, a team that can still be one of the good teams in the West. They can't trade CJ for young parts. They can't trade him for draft picks. That doesn't do him any good. And if, and when you get into the salary matching game for someone making $30 million, it's really challenging. Let's just keep going. Norman Powell, a very good player. Norman Powell is shooting 50 40, 89, which would be notable if Anthony Simons wasn't shooting 50, 40, 90. That's 50% from the floor, 40% from three, 90% from the free throw line. Norman Powell's been great. He's the Blazers' third best player this season. He's been awesome. But the Blazers paid Norman Powell a five-year contract for $90 million. That's $18.5 million over the next four seasons after this one. That's a lot of Norman Powell to trade for. Not that he couldn't help, just that if you're making that trade, it is a long-term commitment to Norman Powell, so a team has to really be enamored with what he brings and think that he gets it gets him there. Also, he's a little bit older as well, so does he fit a timeline for a young team? I think yes, in some ways, that he would fit a timeline for a rebuilding team because you just, like, at some point, you just need vets. Um, someone tell Sam Hinkie, but, like, or <laughs> Sam Hinkie, Sam Presti? Uh, Sam Hinkie probably knows. So someone tell Sam Presti, but, like, it's... Um, I don't think that's a super desirable, tradable contract. The Blazers didn't have leverage this summer. If Norm walked, they weren't going to get anyone to replace him, and Norman's agent did that, and he got the bag. Congratulations. But that doesn't mean the Blazers have a tradable part. So now you're saying, Mike, the obvious one is Anthony Simons. And to that I say, Simons doesn't fit that range. He doesn't quite make enough money to net you back a a meaningful part. So now you're talking about, like, Anthony Simons has been awesome this year. Um... Brandon Goldner at Brandon Goldner on Twitter asked, asked if Ambry Simons was the Blazers' fourth best player. I don't think so, but I think it's damn close. Um, he's certainly been their fifth best player this season. Um, I think Nurk's defense kind of outweighs what Ant brings, but it's but Nurk has had some nights where he's been bad, and Ambry Simons has clearly been the Blazers' fourth best player. Um, yeah, I mean the Blazers' four best players might quite frankly be six, four six foot three guards. A trade is coming. A trade is coming. They will have to make a trade. More on that in a moment. But Ant, it's hard to trade Ant on his own for value because you're trading for another guy on, you know, Ant is, a, is a 20, the 24th overall pick in the final year of his deal. He's just not making enough money to sort of move the needle. Um, you're trading for mid-level guys or other guys on rookie-scale deals. Um, teams are reluctant to give up good rook- guys on good rookie-scale deals. Teams are reluctant to give up. See Amphrey Simons. Or like... A mid-level guys are mid-level for a reason because they're because they're kind of caught in the middle and they're the Kelly Oubre's of the world. Uh, trading Ant for a Kelly Oubre type or even specifically Kelly Oubre does not make this team better. Does not make this team better. Um, it makes them different, a um, little bigger on the wing, and there'd be some nights where that was more valuable. But on the whole, you'd rather have Simons' shooting and his offensive skill set. So now you're in this place where the Blazers, you know, you've you've kind of 
exhausted the Blazers' most tradable assets, and none of them are particularly sexy on the open market. Can you package a, a Ant and a Rocco together to get something? You can, but again, you're thinning out what was once the thing you were bragging about is your depth, so you got to get the right parts back. However, I think a trade is coming because it's inevitable. The Blazers have closed the last two games with four six three guards on the floor. You can't have your four best players be all the same size. And if they are all the same size, they need to all be six foot nine or at least six, six. Um, it's just, it's just untenable to be this small and then have your best offensive group be that small. Always. Um, you, you just need more. You just, you need to be able to have some punch the other way with some size. And quite frankly, just the way the league works is you need to be longer and, and more athletic than the Blazers are capable of being. I think a trade is coming, whether that's a trade of CJ McCollum, whether that's a trade of Norman Powell, whether that's a trade of Amphrey Simons. I think one of those three gentlemen will be traded at the deadline just because you can look at the roster and it's incredibly imbalanced. They need to get another forward. They need to get another wing. Um, whether I think what you might end up with and what you might see and how this how this might play out is that you trade Anthony Simons for someone who is worse on paper, but makes the team better. Or you trade Norm for the same idea. Someone who is who is ostensibly worse, maybe even objectively worse, but like a a true forward. And so then you can you the roster gets a little you get a little more balance in the roster. That is not ideal. That is not a position you want to be in. But I don't think I think trading CJ was really hard this summer, and the Blazers kind of backed themselves into the corner by um by saying we don't want to take a crappy deal, which is the right way to run run a team. Um and now it's it's just it's going to get obvious as we get deeper into this thing that a trade has to happen, and I believe it will. No, uh, Neil Olshay has been good and consistent at making in-season moves to improve the team. He makes my he's his best thing he does is you get into the middle of the season, he makes minor tweaks to improve the roster. It's absolutely the thing he's best at. Um, it's a lot of people are critical of Neil, but you can't be critical of that. He has been almost. Very, 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 very good at that. Um, some season-saving moves for sure. Um, he built the rosters beforehand, but he's fixed them midstream. He's good at it. So I think a trade is coming because he's not afraid to do those types of things. He's not afraid to make minor deals. The blockbuster might not be coming. Ben Simmons is probably not going to end up in Portland, but a trade is is inevitable because of the imbalance in the roster. Now, a trade is difficult because of the reasons I laid out beforehand, but there is some combination and other teams will get desperate and injuries will happen and needs change and teams who thought they were going to compete are now not competing and teams who thought they were going to be bad are now competing and just priority shift, you know, 35 games into the season in the way that they didn't in the past or they didn't exist at the beginning of the year. And so a trade partner will materialize, a trade will materialize, maybe a multi-team deal will materialize, whatever it might be. And the Blazers will find themselves an opportunity to move one of their guards. And I, I, I would presume it will be either Norman Powell or Anthony Simons. It's going to happen. But instead of sort of weighing the specifics of trades, I thought it'd be more valuable here to talk about what trades look like in general. So hopefully that kind of helps you get a sense of the challenges the Blazers face ahead, but also the inevitability of what's going to happen with this roster. And it's something, and it's something with the guards because there's just too many of them and they're good. They're too, there's too many good players who are under six foot four. That's a problem. That's going to do it for today's show. The Blazers play tonight, or if you're listening to this on, on if watching on YouTube on uh, on Thursday, late Thursday evening, they play Friday. Um, this is, but this is a Friday show for the podcast purposes. They play the Pacers tonight. They play the Lakers on Saturday. No LeBron James in that Lakers game. Bummer. Um, 
So in your feeds, Monday show, uh, probably posting sometime Sunday afternoon, we will recap both of those games, talk about what we saw, um, talk about some numbers from the first 10 games of the season, and just kind of check in with, check the Blazers' temperature. Next week, we'll do a mailbag show. Jason Quick will be back on back on the program. Should be a ton of fun. The Blazers are on the road all of next week. So um, we will we'll see if, yet again, if this thing travels after two, uh, two straight home games. So make sure you are watching on YouTube, subscribe to the show. Make sure you're uh, telling your friends about this podcast in general. Tell them they can find it wherever they get podcasts, as well as on YouTube. Just search Locked on Blazers. We'll be right there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.